there is a very good chance that what's happened with COVID-19 across a, a range of different areas will undoubtedly have a massive impact on what we do in the future, particularly how we pay for things. You know, cash was on the decline anyway, but I think that something like COVID-19 has given a real shot in the arm by forcing people to think of different ways of paying for things that means that undoubtedly we can expect that to accelerate we've already obviously seen that cash usage halved recently since kind of uh, lockdown occurred and we've also seen the increase in the contactless limit raised to 45 pounds something that many many people have been clamoring for for a very very long time and it took this to be the impetus to actually get it done those type of things will definitely have a meaningful impact on acceleration towards the death of cash. What I would say, Robin, is that the statement of death of cash, there will, I firmly believe there will always be cash in our society because we, we have to bear in mind that we have to take people with us. And there are generations of people and pockets of use and use cases that cash is just something that they're used to. And you can't just take that away from people and say, it's either this way or no other way of paying for things. I mean, that would be truly crazy to say to, for example, my own mother who still has a, you know, she uses a card plenty, but for some unknown reason, she gets cash out in certain situations to say to her, no, you can't do that anymore. You have to pay on your card. I think how that happens is that generally in the marketplace, there are driving forces that drive merchants and large retailers to make those type of decisions. So if, if, I, if I take one example of, if you th- imagine things like uh, kind of food fairs and those type of environments. For many years, if you wanted to go to a food fair or anything, then you, the only way you could possibly imagine buying anything was have to take wads of cash with you. And then because people in the industry came up with very small chip reading devices and contactless devices that can plug into a mobile phone or connect via bluetooth it made it much more practical for a merchant a seller to have the acceptance of paying a card and no and those things are becoming more and more prevalent um, but the driving force for doing that wasn't somebody in government saying we're going to drive out cash it was more a case of merchants deciding retailers deciding, hey we don't want to deal with all this cash anymore we want to make we want card to be an accepted payment so we're going to do something about it and now there are viable cost effective ways of doing it and therefore we, we put them available to people so the death of cash that's a long long way off has it been accelerated by covid19 yes but if people are, are looking for a date when it's we're likely to see the death of cash i just i can't imagine when that would be Well, allow me to be mischievous then, since you're a card issuer. If this is not the death of cash, might it be the death of cards? Because they're just one of a number of ways that people can actually pay for transactions. This is a question that I've been asked. I've been working in payments for over 20 years and in cards for over 20 years. And every year somebody says that it's going to, something's going to be the death of cards, essentially. And my viewpoint on this is, the important thing is the overall proportion of payments that are digital will continue to increase and has been increasing for a long time. And as you quite rightly pointed out, Robin, there's a variety of different things that we can class as a digital payment, whether it's a digital wallet, whether it's a card, whether it's a bank to bank transfer. So that's going to continue to grow. 
the proportion of digital payments that are classed as card payments, in my view, will slow, has slowed and will continue to slow. But in terms of the real transactional volume that are on cards, that will continue to increase because digital payments continue to increase at the, at the expense of, of cash. So card payments will continue to increase as a proportion of overall digital payments. My viewpoint is there will be some reduction there. But the key thing to think about when we think about digital wallets, that people assume that that's some kind of move away from cards. But as I'm sure you know, Robin, it really isn't. You know, Apple Pay and Google Pay is just a way of putting your card number securely into a digital wallet. So everything that happens behind the scenes is largely still predicated on the way that credit cards and debit cards have been processed for Know, decades. So digital wallet has been you know, great. There's been a huge explosion in the volume of digital payments um, during this particular crisis. And I think that we will definitely see people continue that trend, that people start to think to themselves, well, okay, I can continue to get out my phone. This is a really easy thing to do whether I'm buying online or I'm buying physically. But again, digital wallets um, in many countries, including the UK, are still inexplicably restricted to an amount that you can spend for each transaction. And they have typically been linked to the contactless limit. So whilst the contact limit has been increased to 45, the average transaction value for a debit card transaction um, across uh, the UK is somewhere in the region of around £44. So it rules out a large proportion of transactions being used using that mechanism even though a digital wallet transaction is highly secure. I've got my mobile phone. I've had to authenticate to get into the app in the first place, but we still have this restricted limit. So I think digital payments, what will come from COVID-19 for sure, is people will become more and more confident, merchants and buyers and consumers, in the use of that technology. And hopefully that will drive a demand towards an increase in the in the limit that, that we can use on digital wallets. Because if we do that, that will be transformative in many, many industries. Because buying a TV at the moment has to be, uh, unless it's online, if, if you're going to buy a TV physically in store, in most instances, that has got to be with a physical piece of plastic. Um, and the only reason it is, is because there's an arbitrary limit set on a digital wallet. Not that anybody can actually buy anything in store at the <laughs> no, moment. No, 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 exactly. No, exactly. But, but having said that, this is obviously, we're talking about the, the technology, we're talking about a specific example of the, the technology at work. But yeah. this is going to change banking more generally, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe it will. I, mean, I think one of the things that comes from this is an increased level of confidence in tools and technology that perhaps certain pockets of society were less convinced about. So when you're forced to do something and you see that it works well, you get more confident about doing that and therefore it becomes the norm. So there's less demand for people to go into a bank branch or to pick up a telephone for a telephone service. The people get more used to it and they you know, therefore, banks can start to invest or should start to invest more in digital banking products. The interesting thing with banks, I think, is there's a couple of ways of looking at this. One of the way that people have been obsessed about is 
when uh, the challenger banks launched like Monzo and N26 and Chime in the US, etc., the big focus outside of our industry was very much about how easy it was to sign up and feature functionality and user experience within the app. So people just liked it. They liked the experience, etc. And what the traditional banks have done, the incumbent banks, a lot of them have, have sought to replicate that feature functionality on their own apps but leaving their underlying technology as it always has been. So still running the same legacy platforms that have been in existence for 25 or 30 years, but putting a layer over the top of it to make things look pretty, make it look as though they work in the same way. Whereas everybody knows that underneath, the difference between Monzo and the Lloyds is dramatically different. Monzo is built from the ground up, fully digital. So they are a digital bank. Lloyds may have some features that for example allow you to pause your debit card etc it doesn't make them a digital bank it means they digitize some of their features and 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 the opportunity really for traditional banks is the full digitalization of their underlying technology which let's face it is a big big piece of work it's arguably not an opportunity but a necessity because otherwise the emperor is going to be exposed as having no clothes There's a significant chance of that. And there's a chance that people during this crisis have got used to new technologies that they never thought they would use. And therefore, they're more open to the idea of moving to a digital bank, certainly seen an increase in digital bank usage and people going for those type of apps. And there's a significant chance that this will increase the number of people who say, hey, let's go and take let's go and look at monzo let's go and look at revolut or an n26 whoever it might be i'm more open to this this technology works let me try it for more of the things that i do on a day-to-day basis the thing i would say about the banks is that at the moment they still hold the vast majority of deposits so one of the things about the biggest challenges for the pure digital banks is to get more people to have their salary paid into those accounts and to start to buy more services from those digital banks because that's how they will either make money through more services, so the overdraft or credit cards, et cetera, or they will at some point need to introduce subscription fees, which they've tried to some degree of success. Certainly in the UK, Robin, I would say it's different in Europe. So one of the things that we found with working with one of our customers is a Switzerland's first ever digital bank, a company called Upeel. So built from the ground up by a bunch of guys that came from UBS. But in Switzerland, it's quite common to pay a lot of money for a bank account. So therefore, when you're entering the market as a pure digital player, you know that one of your revenue streams can be to charge for a bank account. Now, we know that in the UK... There is resistance. There is significant resistance. and. It therefore makes it more difficult for those players to, to make money. But they, I think they all know the way to get to that point is by having more consumer confidence for them to put all of their salary into, into those bank accounts and for them to run their, their wider kind of financial services beyond what they get from the traditional banks. So I think the traditional banks know that there's a threat and there's a certain degree of how serious that threat has been taken. But I don't think there's a big enough chunk been taken out of the deposit piece because 
the market always focuses on number of users. Everyone gets really excited about the number of users that a challenger bank has got, but the numbers that don't really get published is what value of deposits those banks are actually holding versus what's held by the tier one and tier two banks. Uh, and ultimately, um, unless things are dramatically changed in the banking industry, yeah, I, 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 can, I, I think that that is absolutely the case. In every product cycle, you've got people who rush to adopt. So the early adopters who, you know, who love the apps and they think it's great and they have total confidence. And in the case of Monzo, you'll remember that they created this huge following on social media of people that basically was such great advocates of them that the thing just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. I mean, that doesn't... It was a cult. You, it, they created a cult, which, frankly, let's face it, there has never been a cult around a traditional or incumbent bank. There's been huge following on social media, but it's not usually been for anything positive. So they created this and had these early adopters. But you've always had people who, who will say, yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing this until... You know, why do I need to? So if you think about a direct debit payment, a direct debit payment goes, it's, once it's set up, it just happens. So does it really make any difference whether it's coming from a shiny app that I can do other things on, that somebody alerts me to the fact there's been a payment straight away, or just from a traditional incumbent bank account? There's a group of people who just go, yeah, I'm not really bothered. It doesn't really make any difference to me. They need a shove. And they absolutely do not care what the underlying cost of acquiring a customer and managing a customer is from a digital bank versus an incumbent. We in the industry might care. We might look at that as a metric. But does my mother care about how much it costs Lloyds to run a bank account versus Monzo? No, not one little bit. And I suspect she's, that's 99% of people in the country don't care either because it doesn't mean anything to them. It's like kind of how, if you translate into it means something to me, then people would be more interested. But the banks have still got a whole heap of cash. They're throwing a lot of money at, pay, at projects to try to create digital banks, whether they're standalone digital banks or they're trying to relook at their legacy software and kind of modernize it. There's a lot of money being spent to try to figure this out. But, you know, ultimately, those deposits haven't, you know, they've just not migrated anywhere else right at this moment in time. They're still largely where they always have been.